Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everyone. If you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10. That's podcast10 to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. And now to the top analysis of today's markets. What are the safe haven plays in this messy market? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today is Amelia Bordeaux, Managing Director of Market Strategy at Diamond Standard Company. Hi, Amelia. It's great to see you. Hi, it's great to be here. Thanks for the invite. Absolutely. So before we jump in, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself for those who may not be familiar? So I worked over 18 years on Wall Street um, in based in New York. Uh, my background is macro. So I've always worked in macro global markets and FIC, uh, primarily in foreign exchange trading and sales. And I just recently moved to Diamond Standard um, in New York City as well as where it's based. And Diamond Standard and its founder, Cormac Kinney, created the world's first regulated diamond commodity. And we are working on financializing it. Oh, amazing. So when we talk about our commodity basket, we have to include that then because we tend to do precious metals, gold, energy, but we haven't been talking about diamonds, but it sounds like yeah. we're going to have to add that to the list. You have to add it in. We think of ourselves similar to gold. So Amazing. Okay. Well, there's certainly, I mean, it's a hot topic because, you know, as we started out saying, in all of this turmoil, a lot of people are trying to figure out what do I do? Where do I go? Where do I hide? And in some cases, what what do I chase? Because that's kind of what's yeah. happening today, right? We have some cross currents investors uh, certainly looking at the debt ceiling, which is still not resolved as we head into the holiday weekend. We had some stronger than expected US data, which kind of put the Fed back in focus. But I think all of that was overshadowed by this raging rally in tech, NVIDIA up 25% today as we close out here in the US. I mean, that's that's an incredible number. And it helped lift the NASDAQ just about 2%. So let's let's sort of tackle them a little bit one by one, and and we'll start with tech. I know you're not an equity analyst per se, but what when you look at this landscape, what do you make of this rally in tech? Well, tech's definitely been the the shiny ball that's distracting investors from the growing macro problems, uh, whether they're geopolitical or um, possible recession, um, you know, in bond market volatility banking turmoil. But anyway, getting back to tech, you know, Nasdaq is up over 21% for the year. Uh, bond markets have been volatile, but you tend to find that anytime those yields come down, you know, that's better for long-term uh, growth stocks. And um, yeah, I mean, there's so much focus now, AI with ChatGPT coming out. I was just at the SALT conference last week in New York, and you know that was a big topic, AI, and how quickly it's being integrated into finance and into other industries as well. So it's clearly the future, and it's clearly you know something 
that you need to look at a longer term horizon for, not just this kind of short term rally that's based off of you know, NVIDIA. I, and I think that's what people worry about. NVIDIA is certainly the poster child for that. So for everyone listening, we're curious if you if you hold the NVIDIA and if you do, would you be a buyer at these levels? Or no, and the no means you're probably taking profit. Or if you if you missed it, you're not getting in. Brian's going to drop a poll um, in the YouTube chat because I'm curious. It's been the question that's the hardest to answer because a lot of people have been left out of the rally. There were a lot of doubters in the beginning of the year. We heard all about the fact that what what worked before isn't going to work now. It's not mega cap top, you know, uh, mega cap tech stocks. It's not Fang. And if you weren't in it, you lost out. So do you have, do you worry that we're going to have the situation where people, including professionals, are trying to make up lost ground? How does that dynamic work? Well, the U.S. economy, we're late cycle, right? So for most, I would say, equities, they're, they can continue to rally, but the rally is going to be capped like relative to the downside. I think what tech has going for it is, you know, eventually there'll be rate cuts, you know, we think, and that, that could support it. You don't usually see equity market volatility, though, until um, unemployment picks up. Mm. So I think that's what your investors or, you know, people investing in tech now, and that could be one of the signals. So we get employment um, next Friday, it's still expected to be an orderly decline, like 175 or something is consensus. But should you get the first or when you get the first like payroll report that really disappoints consensus, I think equity vol is going to pick up. And that's when, you know, you could see a drop yeah. in, in equities. So that that's so interesting. I want to, so some people are weighing in and some with remorse, Roger and John both saying missed it. <laughs> we'll see what everybody else comes back with. Um, I, I feel like everyone's nervous. Those who missed it are, you know, disappointed they missed it. And those who were in it are sort of like tortured thinking, is this the time to take profits? I just want to flag for those who are members and are regular viewers, you know, we have a show called Three Ideas where we have guests give their three best trades at that time. Back on January 10th, Beth Kindig came on and made a very convicted call about NVIDIA. This is January 10th. Let's have a listen to a clip from that. NVIDIA is so far in the future that uh, they're able to release uh, you know, GPUs that capture not only all of this hyperscaler uh, CapEx, so when obviously Meta has a huge CapEx budget, things like that, NVIDIA serving that CapEx budget, super important because how many budgets are that big? And then secondly, uh, they're able to capture this new wave of AI development. Um, so that makes them, in my opinion, the number one AI stock. And the reason why that's super important is because mobile was about a $5 trillion market. AI is going to be a minimum $15 trillion market. Mobile gave you Apple, Apple obviously. Google, uh, once a computer was in your pocket, the search engine, YouTube, um, Google Maps, everything exploded for Google around that time. And then Meta or Facebook, they had exploded with its native mobile app. So when you take the $5 trillion market that gave us some solid fangs, you three, you times it by three, and you've got NVIDIA right there. I mean, you're gonna, if you ask me what will get me to change my NVIDIA thesis, I'm literally going to tell you nothing. 
So, I mean, we got to give Beth a, a shout out for that. We track all the trades that are mentioned on this show and we keep them and, you know, post them for everyone. And no surprise, Beth is the best performer of everyone who's been on since that yeah. show aired. The stock is up 167%, which is sort of mind blowing. The question now, of course, that we all have and that we're asking, is that good news all priced in? I mean, Beth laid out a pretty good thesis there. We're going to have Beth back on um, very soon, next week or the beginning of the week after, we hope, to give us her thoughts on NVIDIA. So she's going to do an update to her three trades. You can see the other two that she mentioned, and then um, she'll talk about some, three new ones she has. So keep a lookout for that. We'll let everybody know when that's going to air. And if you're not a member, you need to be. So scan the QR code so you can join us for these great programs. Um, and we'll talk about the poll in a second because a lot of you are weighing in. So Amelia, while we have everybody... Um, you know, uh, give their thoughts about NVIDIA. The other looming issue, and it's a big one, I mean, just, just because this NVIDIA is so crazy today, otherwise we would have started the show with this, is the debt ceiling. There's mm -hmm. still no agreement. Members of Washington are going home for Memorial Day weekend, for the long weekend, you know, as Fitch and everyone else is warning that this is, this is going to be trouble. We know the conventional wisdom is that they're going to get it done, but so how are you, how are you thinking about this and are you getting more worried? I mean, it's definitely worrying. The, the thing that's most worrying, too, for me um, is that it's just such a headline-driven market right now. So trading conditions are very choppy. You have to obviously be tactical. And, you know, McCarthy says one thing, Biden says another thing. It's just moving everything around until we had that NVIDIA news, and then the whole market seemed to concentrate on that. So we had a break from these debt ceiling headlines. But it's obviously a looming issue. The market seems to think that that X date is June 1. So, you know, we'll see um, the the one month T-bill is trading above 5%. So nobody really wants to hold <laughs> anything in June, it seems like. Um, and so, yeah, you do have to really be aware of it. I mean, they've always kind of kicked the can down the road or come to some sort of agreement um, before because the economic consequences are pretty much catastrophic if they don't. Uh, so you would think that that would give them more of an incentive to not do this partisanship, you know, going to the brink. But, um, you know, it's exciting to, to trade and exciting to watch, but you do have to have your safe haven trades, you know, ready um, in the event that it goes to the 11th hour or in the event that they kind of kick the can down the road or have to prioritize payments. Um, you know, the government has to prioritize payments. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah. And when, when that starts to happen, there will be a point where even, because it's not a very clear, I mean, you bring up a great point. It's not a very clear deadline. It's kind no. of this moving target and people yeah. disagree a little bit on it. So the closer we get, the, the, the more you run the risk of an, uh, unintentional error, I think is, is the best way to yeah. put it, right. That things start happening. And that's where you have, 
have the potential for real market volatility. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are the safe havens? I mean, this, and this is really important because this is what we get asked all the time. Like, wh- how can I protect myself against this? So what are you looking at as potential safe havens? Well, as you mentioned, you know, the bond market volatility, which people should be watching as well, um, just the move index, you know, it's been high, not as high as it was um, in March with the banking sector turmoil, the failure of SVB, but it's been high and sticky. So the bond market is actually very volatile, more volatile than equities, which, you know, in and of itself historically is a bit unusual. So turning to safe havens, Ironically, the U.S. dollar is a safe haven. We want to take a look at those safe haven currencies. So the dollar, the Swiss, the yen, and of course, gold. So uh, because the problem is obviously centered in the United States, um, you know, the dollar is going to have some mixed reaction. So I would say against the higher beta currencies, meaning the risk-taking currencies, like the dollar block or EM, I would say the U.S. dollar would actually appreciate um, but against the G10 or, you know, certainly the other safe haven currencies, yen and Swiss, it would depreciate. So I, I tend to think that the safest trade here would be, you know, short dollar Swiss and people would want to be looking at that. And I think it was last Friday when the Republicans perhaps had ended negotiations on that day, at least, um, and it impacted markets. Uh, dollar Swiss did fall. I think Swiss appreciated like 0.5% against the dollar. Uh, when that headline came. So when you're talking about yen, that's interesting because we're also, uh, you know, at markets have a way of doing this. We're also kind of lining up to a pretty important time coming in Japan, right? We've got questions about whether you have a new uh, governor of the Bank of Japan and Mm -hmm. questions about whether they are going to tweak or change their yield curve control range. And we sort of forgot all about that. We talked a lot about it when he was named when the changeover happened, um, but but it's kind of fallen to the back burner. Is mm-hmm. that something we need to think about, or do we need to get through the debt ceiling first if we're looking at the yen as a as a potential haven? How do you how do you think about that cross? It is the yen is a bit tough. I mean, I think for the yen to appreciate, you probably need U.S. yields to fall. Once again, Treasuries can be a safe haven. Um, as well. So their yields will come down in a, in a rally, obviously. But um, yeah, that's why I prefer the Swiss over the yen at this point, because we do have some issues obviously coming up with the BOJ. And so if I wanted the safest plays, I would do Swiss. And I would also be, um, you know, long gold. Long gold is the, the safe haven, um, you know, precious metal. And it tends to perform, you know, well in periods of, of market volatility. It can diversify a portfolio as well, more so. I, more so, I think than than currencies can diversify a portfolio. It just matters, you know, how you trade it. And our um, diamond commodity as well. We count that in the precious metals um, category. And so, how we think about that is very low vol, and and gold is low vol too. But um, it also has lack of correlation. So you want something that's not very correlated. That can be a safe haven. And so you looked into you the diamond commodities, look into Swiss. So um, things that your typical, I would say, risk aversion, I guess this is, a, it's really like a classic, we don't have to make it too complicated, right? This is like, mm. if this happens, this is a classic risk aversion reaction that I think, you know, the markets would have. I think equity is down, uh, bonds rally, dollar strengthens against EM, the risk-seeking currencies, and then the safe havens appreciate against the dollar, gold rallies. Yeah. So it's interesting because that's also kind of counter 
to what people had been anticipating, at least, you know, before we get to this, if it's sparked by crisis, certainly, but everyone said, we, we've heard over and over again, the dollar's reign is done, right? The US mm -hmm. dollar's headed lower. Um, that is kind of the narrative that a lot of people have locked onto, but is it just that the dollar is a safe haven in the very short term, th if, if we hit crisis, what happens if the debt ceiling is resolved? Yeah, I mean, the dollar has been trading in a very tight range. The DXY index has been looking just against the majors. It had been like 101 to 102.40 um, until mid-May. Mid so that meant April to mid-May when it started breaking higher. And I think we're above 104 today. Even dollar yen broke top side 140 late in the afternoon um, now. So when you say that the dollar has weakened, it has weakened, but it's weakened from very strong levels. Um, so it's still <laughs> strong yeah. relative to, to history. And in terms of, there's a lot of talk now about, you know, central banks diversifying their reserves and other reserved currencies and the dollar maybe um, on the decline or that de-dollarization, you know, that's going all around FinTwit and it's yeah. a big topic of discussion. And there really isn't, you know, uh, there really isn't, an, you know, an alternative to the U.S. dollar. Um, you know, for years, you know, the euro obviously has been in existence next year, 25 years for the euro. And June 1 is the 25th anniversary, actually, of the ECB. But in any event, you know, the euro is about 20% of reserves. The dollar is well over 50% of, you know, global central bank reserves. And people tend to turn to the Chinese, you know, yuan. And it's about like just around two and a half, maybe 2.7% of global reserves, so much lower. Yeah. Um, you know, and that that is that has gone up over a decade, but but not by much. And so, you know, part of the problem that you think of when you think of the dollar or you think of reserve currencies is, um, you know, the investors, the central banks hold, you know, the the bonds uh, to to back the currencies, and um, and they invest in the bonds. So right now, we just continue to see basically outflows of of China bonds. So until people really want to hold you know, China bonds. I think it's, it's difficult for it to become a reserve currency. It's also a managed currency. Yes. There's not a lot of alternatives to the dollar. I mean, you could see a flight to quality into um, the German bond market, German bonds, for instance. That could also be another type of reaction that you would see. And lastly, just to point out, you know, I'm sure everyone knows, but, you know, central banks have been building their gold reserves. They've been buying gold, um, you know, throughout the first quarter and into April, we have some data from the World Gold Council that starts to show April and starts to show continued purchases of gold by central banks. And so that's been a, an important component that has lifted gold. And it's also, you know, one of the reasons why people are talking about de-dollarization, because if a country or an economy is not kind of politically aligned or value aligned with the U.S., they start to seek um you know, some alternative to the dollar to maybe avoid the problem that Russia had with, um, you know, the sanctions and the SWIFT system back when the Russia-Ukraine war started. Yeah. Um, no, those are great points. And it, it's it, it's really important to point out that there's a narrative that people have, and then there's sort of the reality, you know. And, the reality. And, yeah. Some of the points you brought up, again, um, Jim Rogers talking to us earlier this week said the same thing. He said, I'm looking for an alternative because of the yeah. debt issues, but there's not one right now, you know, and so yeah. that's a problem. And um, I think I'll give you a clear example yeah. of this. And ironically, uh, 
well, it's something that's in my wheelhouse at Diamond Standard. There's an example of this with, with the diamond market. So, you know, the G7 has been trying to sanction Russian diamonds, and they mentioned that in the statement um, last week. Al Rosa is a state-owned diamond industry uh, in, in Russia. And they they have about, they mine about like just about 30%, a little bit over of the world's diamonds. So it's a significant provider of the diamond market. But in any event, Russia had been looking with India because India is a polisher of diamonds to do a deal where um, it's a Russian uh, ruble rupee deal <laughs> to pay, you know, in rupees basically. And talks fell apart because Russia didn't want to take those rupees, those billions of dollars of rupees onto their balance sheet. So, you know, that's a, pra you know, you say there's reality and, and that's a, an example of reality is trying to avoid the U.S. dollar, but it's tough. Yeah, I, I absolutely. Um, and that's great. Thank you for giving us example because there are tangibles that people bring up. And I think it's important because the conversation is so loud on Twitter yeah. sometimes and, and in certain circles. And there's not to take anything away from the argument they make, but you know, when you plug it in and you think the dollar is going to go down on it, that's a completely different story. Uh, Want to get your thoughts on gold because gold is one of those things that's been frustrating to people. Mm -hmm. It had some price moves and it seems like it can never get quite right. above. Yeah. That, that level. 2000 level. I yeah. Mean, we somebody, like I think in the, in the chat the other day said, who keeps stepping on it? <laughs> like who keeps stepping on it there? Why? Well, is I have some ideas about that. So I mentioned the central bank buying. So that's been an important base for gold. I would say there's probably retail buying because of all the, even before, you know, this debt ceiling talk, there was just a, there's a lot of geopolitical macro risk, you know, geopolitical People can't agree about the timing and the depth of a recession in the United States, about the timing of Fed fund, you know, rate cuts. And we're talking about, you know, really smart people, either from markets and hedge funds, and they can't agree. I mean, I'm, I'm reading stuff like we're going into an inflationary spiral, and then I'm reading we're going into a deflationary spiral. So there's really opposite opinions, which means that there's probably going to be sometime this year, some sort of macro dislocation in the market that the market um, has to reckon with. But getting, and that's why there has been some gold buying. Now getting back to why we can't seem to break that, we can't seem to get to gold's new highs, is there's two things happening with gold. You know, it's trading very closely with US yields. So if you graph it against US yields or if you graph it against the US dollar, um, and I mentioned at the start of the show, the bond market has been very volatile. So gold has actually been volatile because it's moving with the bond market. And the bond market, you know, it's just been shifting all over the place since the start of the year, both on Fed views and then the bank failures and now the debt ceiling. So um, yeah, gold is is moving with, with US yields. Um, and the dollar, but more so U.S. yields. So you have that volatility component of gold, which doesn't usually be this choppy. And then the last thing is ETF flows into gold. So that's really the institutional money. And ironically, over this period of, you know, this time of market volatility, you could have made a lot of money, right? We started the, the, the top of the show with NVIDIA or the NASDAQ is up 21% this year. So if you're along the net, you know, as there's, there's these pockets of risk seeking in the market that if you mm. hit them, you know, that would have been great for your portfolio if you're a portfolio manager. So that institutional money hasn't gone into gold. The ETF flows have been negative into gold from North American institutions until probably um, early April, where we start to seeing a turn 
um, in them. And, and these data you can find on, on World Goal Council as well. And they, you know, they do discuss this. But that institutional money is not in gold, which is what you need to drive it to new highs. And so far it hasn't been there because, right, you can sit in 5% for mm-hmm. cash right now, you know, yeah. so... We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And, and it is historically very low. Um, I talked to Rick Rule about this some time ago, because even if you have a an adjustment back to anything, like a, a, a little bit, not even traditionally what, what the holdings are, if you even have a little bit of a slide back, then it would be pretty supportive for gold, but we, but but as you say, we haven't see it, seen it. So the question is, does yeah. it come? Is there a catalyst, or is just this the new new, you know, regime that we're in that you just don't have that kind of allocation? I mean, so that seems to be um, a question. Yeah. So uh, we have some questions here. Um, one of them from is from Trillionex, so we might as well tackle it because we're talking about precious metals. Um, mm-hmm. He's asking how how do diamonds fit into a diversified portfolio? What are the other correlations? What are the correlations with other asset classes? I think you said they are not correlated, which is- They're not correlated. Diamond hasn't been financialized yet. So there is no correlation. And that's why it's a very attractive investment right now. As is as is the precious metal space, you know, as is gold. It, it, you really need portfolio diversifiers right now. We talked about specific safe havens, but I think we should also talk about and consider a portfolio because that's probably more realistic, you know, and how you can diversify and protect your portfolio coming up with all of these types of mass macro risks instead of individual, you know trades. But diamonds, uh, gold, they act as safe havens. They act as um, their low volatility and they act as a diversifier because they're uncorrelated. So those are things you should be looking at right now. Just in general, um, you know, I think markets and both individuals and institutions are under allocated to the precious metal space. Mm. Uh, So is is there a do you have a view that inflation is going to be stickier than we think i think inflation is coming down but i think you know we're not really going to return to the 2% target so we could settle in you know maybe around that 3 and a half to 4% which which is not where we want to be because people talk about <laughs> very opposite deflation inflation there's stagflation, right? So we're probably going to, in my opinion, we're going to end up in a stagflationary environment. And that's the, the most difficult environment um, for the Fed. So, you know, the Fed is, the, the market today, the Fed fund futures were pricing in about 55 basis points of rate cuts um, through the end of the year. And the Fed, in, in its own forecast, um, has rates steady at, you know, the current rate to, to the end of the year, the 5% rate to the end of the year. So the Fed sees no rate cuts, the market sees 55 basis points of rate cuts. So there is a lot of divergence there that is going to lead one way or the other to, you know, repricing. I think the Fed will have to continue to hike if the labor market, the labor market's strong, we're late cycle and the labor market's still strong. So yeah, we saw that jobless claims today, they did go up at the revisions to the past week um, showed that things were really strong and we had a slightly higher than expected second ring on GDP. So, you know, the market is looking at that and starting to question, but you're right, there's a huge divergence between what the market's pricing in and what the Fed is saying they're going to do. I think people think things are going to slow down or something's going to break. 
And that's where it's going to meet. But we don't know that yet. Yeah. When you look at opposites like that, my background is macro. My background is foreign exchange. So when you see such a clear, (laughs) well-publicized divergence in the market, you know, that that's going to present an opportunity to itself. That's going to be a big trade at some point this year, but timing it, you know, timing it isn't, isn't easy. And the, dir- the direction of it um, also isn't easy, but certainly U.S. payrolls, the unemployment, uh, the employment rate, and, you know, is certainly going to be one of the catalysts. So that's, you know, one of the things that you should definitely watch. I think that, you know, financial conditions, credit tightening, and also, you know, if equities continue to rally, you know, that loosens, financial conditions so that could incite, you know, another Fed rate hike. So these are all things that, that I would be watching. And I just wanted to circle back to, to NVIDIA and AI um, because if we consider things in a portfolio sense and like, is it going to rally more? Um, you know, I think we have to really consider the private market. So private markets have grown, public markets have shrunk. So if you're looking at a portfolio, you really need to think about, if you can, alts, you know, the alt space. And so, you know, certainly at SALT last week, we met a lot of AI and and biotech companies, right? So if you can have access to some of the companies in the the private market, you know, in the the AI, the biotech space, you know, um, there's a lot of interesting assets, a lot of interesting opportunities, and you can capture maybe that growth equity prior to you know, other people capturing it, mm-hmm. which would lead to, you know, higher, higher gains. So they're less liquid, they're harder to access. But, you know, when you spoke at the beginning, you know, is this the top for NVIDIA or, NVIDIA or how you should trade it? I mean, people are looking in the AI space and biotech and in the private markets for sure. And that, that can diversify a portfolio as can pr- precious metals. And those are things that in general, you should be thinking about not only to gain alpha, but there are things that you should be thinking about and it's very volatile year ahead, because as I said, really smart people are completely disagreeing with each other. So a diversified portfolio will only, I'm assuming, help you, you know, navigate this year. Absolutely. I mean, the, the, the level of disagreement and we, you see that because people who come on, who've done this for a really long time are sort of, they've, they have some thoughts, but they just are not sure, you know, they're just, it's a, it's a Mm -hmm. tough environment to see through with some of these issues kind of lining up on top of each other and some of the volatility we've seen. By the way, the poll coming back is 83% said, no, they are not buying at these levels. So if they missed it, they're not willing to chase it from here. If they have it, they're not willing to buy more, Um, which is probably a reasonable but I think that if we'd say the same poll yesterday, it would have been the same answer. Video <laughs> yeah. is up 25%. That's what makes it so difficult. I mean, it was sort of eye-popping when it came out. These um, are unusual times. So I feel like people who miss the rally, you know, they shouldn't feel bad about themselves missing the rally. These are highly unusual times. Uh, these are cl- these are macro markets. And so some of the responses you're seeing um, are not usual. There's been a massive dislocation since the pandemic and, and markets have been ha- have been behaving, you know, not the usual responses since then. And so um, the best thing you can do, I think, you know, as a, as a trader um, is to look at the risk events ahead, mm-hmm. um, kind of have those dates in mind, make a roadmap of what the market, what are the markers into that risk event that you can follow that can give you a heads up, you know, either way. And, um, you know, getting those trades ready in your mind in advance or diversifying your portfolio um, in advance, you know, if you're not taking directional view, basically. 
Yeah, no, that's great. And I, and and it's important to be thinking about those safe havens and the role they play. And it's been kind of hard to identify them. So we appreciate um, tackling some of the currency ones that people might want to think about heading into what is going to be a crazy couple of weeks in really? June. <laughs> Amelia, it's been so great to have you on. Thank you so much. Thank you. And just remember volatility, uh, should it occur, you know, leads to opportunity. So, <laughs> well, I think we, we have a definitely a feeling it's going to occur one way or the other. So yeah. good to hear that there'll don't be waste it. <laughs> yeah. Don't waste it. Don't waste the volatility. Uh, fantastic stuff. Thank you so much. Thanks to all of you as well. Thanks for answering the poll and being with us. We will be back, uh, same time tomorrow. We'll, we'll let you know when Beth's coming back on for that, uh, redo of NVIDIA. We'll be back tomorrow with Jem Carson, which should be a great conversation when we're talking about all the volatility and bonds, how to think about this going into and through the debt ceiling. Really curious to hear what he says. Even if we get through it, there's likely to be a lot of moving pieces as uh, all that new issuance hits. So we're looking forward to that conversation with him. It will be an extended daily briefing. So be sure to join us. And in the meantime, as always, take care and good luck out there. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, Head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance.